0: Hi, thank you for listening to so story. I'm Jenny. I live in St. Louis and I studied media production. And I'm Christina. I live in New York and I studied writing. While we are vaguely qualified by our respective degrees to talk about what we're talking about, we're truthfully qualified because
1: we've binged hours and hours of Netflix. So many hours. I, 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 I. Before we get started, a couple of quick announcements. We are on multiple podcast platforms Yay! This means you can find us on iTunes, you can find us on Stitcher, you can find us on Spotify, CastBox, and
0: soon to be other places. And we're still on SoundCloud, if for some reason that is your favorite place to go. Facts. I said that very derisively, didn't mean to. If you like SoundCloud, that's good.
1: Um, another quick order of business before we jump into the rest of this episode is you may have noticed sometimes we say things and then after having said them we say, oh, and that might have been a bit of a spoiler. So sorry about that. This time i are going to say it up front. We have spoilers ahead. If you are nervous about having this TV series Dollhouse spoiled for you. Be mindful of that. Maybe go watch it first and then come back or just curb your disappointment. You know, curb your your salty attitude <laughs> about having spoilers if you chose to stay here.
0: Or if you're like me, you'll just listen to this and be like, "Oh man, that would have been really good to be surprised by." And then immediately forget it. So uh, everything will be fine. Yes. We also
1: encourage you to be forgetful if that's the best route for you when you encounter spoilers. (laughs)
0: Uh, We're going to do would you rathers. Christina, take it away.
1: Yes, yes.
0: So we like to do
1: a lot of would you rather questions in our podcast simply because it's a great way for us to get to know one another. I've known Jenny for about eight or nine years now, right? But there are still things that I don't know about Jenny, or maybe that I don't understand about Jenny. (laughs) And I'm certain that she feels similarly about me. I was going to say, I feel the same about myself. (laughs) Oh, we're getting deep now. (laughs) Deep before this even gets started. Um, Yes, but also there are probably people in our audience like you, dear listener, who don't know both of us, who don't know Jenny or maybe don't know me. This is a time for you to get to know us. And eventually, we would love to get to know you too. Hit us up on Instagram. Thanks. All right. First question. Would you rather consistently be 10 minutes late or 20 minutes early?
0: Oh, this is literally the struggle of my life. Because they seem Same. to have only those options. <laughs> um, exactly. And I can't, like, neither of them is good. No. I guess that's the point of a would you rather. They're just really awful situations. <laughs> you have to choose one. Mm, early. 20 minutes early. Okay. Yeah. I'm okay. thinking specifically of, like, my workplace context. I'd rather get 20 minutes extra of work. Then miss out on 10 minutes and also be in the disapproving gaze of my boss constantly.
1: See, your mind went straight to work. My mind went straight to a social context. And so I was thinking, would I rather be 20 minutes early to something, to a social event, or 10 minutes late? You best believe I'm trying to be there 10 minutes late than 20 minutes early when other people are probably going to show up 45 minutes late.
0: I agree with that 100%, but the only time it matters, when I'm on whether I'm on time or not, is work. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough.
1: Okay, I'm going to jump to our next question. Would you rather have horrible short-term memory or horrible long-term memory?
0: I don't like this. I know, it doesn't seem fair, does it? But now I've posed the question. I don't, but... <laughs> i think i have to go with horrible short-term memory okay because this uh, the implication that i i would eventually remember it in the long term i think that would serve me better um just have eventually things would be solidified in my head and i can take notes and write things down this is why i use my calendar to get me reminders Uh, already yes so i think i could make that work I already forget everyone's names, so whatever.
1: <laughs> I, I would also choose horrible short-term memory. And I thought about, for a moment, long-term memory, because I would hate the kind of short-term memory that a goldfish has, where someone has said something to me, and then I'm consistently asking them to remind me within the next 5, 10, 15 minutes each time. What? But yes, taking notes would be great. And I don't want to forget really big milestones in my life. I actually had someone in my life that uh, (laughs) had a concussion, forgot their relationship with me, forgot what their, uh, their major was in college. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. But yeah, I was I think after seeing that I thought no, I don't I don't want huge life changes or decisions to be forgotten
0: yeah yeah thinking it like they, the different kinds of memory live in different parts of your brain that's probably mm-hmm. wrong but they are dif- they are distinct things um as long as your like long-term memory can like hold on to stuff it, you have a framework to go off of for your short term facts
1: last question would you rather see 10 minutes into your future Or, see 10 minutes into the future of anyone but you. (sighs) I feel like I just messed you up.
0: (laughs) No, my thing is, like, it doesn't matter. Oh. Because if I'm next, I mean, it could. But a lot of times you could be next to somebody and just look into their future in, like, If you're still with them, then you're also seeing your own future.
1: Oh, my. Because
0: 10 minutes is not a long time. Wow,
1: now you just messed me up. But I guess for me, let's say, man, I really hadn't thought of that. But if, let's say, I'm sitting next to someone on a train, and I'm about to get off the train, but they remain on. So what if I look into their future for 10 minutes, and I see what their next 10 minutes are going to look like that's also pointless because now i'm i'm very far away from them i don't like this question
0: why did i choose it (laughs) i mean i can see like different you look into their future and some horrible train wreck happens down the the line and you can warn them um also do you have to be near the person whose future you're looking into these are really good clarifying questions that i don't have answers for See, I think I think ultimately, okay, all of these things are leading to me saying, I think I would choose to look into other people's futures and not my own. But it gets kind of convoluted when there are other stipulations.
1: You know what? I just came up with my answer and I, si- I decided I do like this question. Okay. I would choose to look into my own future for the next 10 minutes. And I think the reason why I would choose that is because I just want to know if it is sustainable for me to take a bathroom break sometimes. Is it really an option for me to leave right now? Or am I going to get flooded with lots of emails and texts? Will someone need something from me that is urgent?
0: I want to know that before I take a bathroom break. This calls into question a lot of things for me oh no like how serious are your bathroom breaks oh Uh, my gosh because most people can stand to like be out of the room for five minutes (laughs) i think that was illuminating that is it for our would you rathers but never make us choose between gandalf and dumbledore This is episode four. We already have a lost episode that no one will ever hear. (laughs) So that's cool. Also not true. (sighs) Um, We do have an episode that had audio difficulties that we'll just have to redo at some point, and it will be better. Exactly. Exactly. Let's keep it positive. (laughs) (laughs) All right.
1: Uh, Episode four. We are talking about the TV series, Dollhouse. I don't know if y'all know about Dollhouse. It is a TV series created by Joss Whedon. He's done a few other well-known projects. He's been involved in things like Toy Story, Avengers, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Alien Resurrection. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Dollhouse came out in 2009. It ran for two seasons. We're going to spend a little bit of time in this episode pulling out some of the
0: major themes. Like we said earlier, we're not really trying to avoid spoilers. We're trying to tease out major themes in this TV show that have significance and impact on our everyday lives. Kind of like we have done with other episodes so far. Uh, But kind of in reverse. Instead of picking out a theme and applying stories to it, we're taking a story and pulling themes out of it. Well said. premise of dollhouse is that there are these houses scattered around different cities um around the world is that correct yeah or is it mostly north america i think it's global okay there are these houses scattered around the world and we, we focus on one of them most of the time where people come in and through this crazy technology, they have their, basically, the their imprint of their personality stripped from their minds and replaced by other imprints um, of personalities for the purpose of going out and kind of filling roles in people's fantasies. Or, um, I think one episode deals with kind of a hostage negotiation situation where they put this negotiation personality in one of the dolls um, to go and deal with this Right. Things so
1: there's also an episode oh sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you there's also an episode where someone gets imprinted with the mind of a thief they're a brilliant thief and they have to pull off this major heist
0: yeah so there are different kind of uses for these these dolls to go and kind of serve uh very rich people mostly um so this is kind of uh a service offered to people with enough money to pay for it for various purposes, whether they're individuals or governments or corporations. That and, is key. Yes. Uh, so the, the premise is that there are these dolls who are people, real people who uh, are basically reprogrammable and they can go out into the world and do things. But when they're in the dollhouse, they have their personality kind of stripped from them and they're empty Essentially, yeah,
1: it's what they call a doll state, right? If you have a Wii, or have you ever played Sims, you just think about how your your characters kind of meander without purpose. That would be a person in their doll state. If any of this sounds eerie, it's because it is.
0: Yeah, we both loved this show. Mm-hmm. We it was hilarious when we. I say it was. It's hilarious, but also pretty dark, and we want to like bring that up up front, just because we want this to be um, light and entertaining, but also get at serious themes and topics uh, that really do make shows like this impactful for our everyday lives. Joss Whedon, the writer and runner of the show. Um, is quoted as saying, I'm very much of the make it dark, make it grim, make it tough, but then for the love of God, tell a joke. And he, he does that pretty epically in this show. He does. He does. And
1: these characters are really great. I, I mean, as Jenny said, this show is funny, but dark, but funny. And there's One particular character named Topher, he is what you might call a mad scientist behind all of this very uh, ambiguous technology that, that really drives the show forward. Topher is so sophisticated in his neuroscientific ability, however, not super great with interpersonal relationships and not exactly emotionally mature not able to to really relate to people well we could go down the list and say a whole bunch of synonyms for
0: exactly what I just said I just gave you a lot of the same things essentially he's the awkward scientist
1: he's the awkward scientist that also kind of has a bit of a cold heart we'll, we'll be fair we'll be fair and so one of my favorite things that he does is he calls people by random names sometimes or random uh, adjectives. And he's talking to someone in the building and he says, hey, man, friend, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, just these phrases you're not used to hearing at all. And they just roll right off his tongue. I really enjoyed that. And then and then just like uh, Jenny said earlier with Josh Sweden's preference to say something that is uh, grim or gritty but then for the love of god tell a joke. There's a character named Boyd who says something along the lines of we're pimps and killers but in a philanthropic way.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of lines that like take the the like yeah, the dark kind of horrific things that are going on in kind of poke fun and are like have this wry kind of humor and even like I was thinking as you're describing Topher and kind of almost as like innocence as he's going about like this is my job this is what I do um like there's characters in their doll state that will just like react to some of these darker things just so innocently that it's humorous and yeah the, like true. Are just it's the contrast is so sharp that it's so it's um One of the things that I think makes Joss Whedon's work, a lot of the time, very poignant. um, He puts these things together in really brilliant ways.
1: There is an interview that Joss Whedon did with AMC in 2009, and somebody said, you're a feminist. How does a show about women being subjugated fit in with that? And he said, it's terrifying. There's no way you can avoid the idea that this feels like high-end human trafficking. But what I'm interested in is the idea of a woman who has no identity, who is gradually becoming self-aware and saying, I think I know more than they want me to. There's a little bit more that happens in this interview, and you can look at the interview in full if you click on the link within the description for this episode, but this is a great, great way to frame the conversation surrounding Dollhouse.
0: Yeah, so the first topic that we're tackling here, I mean, like we said at the beginning, this is... This is a very enjoyable, fun show, but it's got some very heavy themes in it. And The first topic that we've pulled out of here that we want to tackle is personhood and human trafficking and concepts surrounding that. Uh, so like the first question we asked is, what makes up a person's personhood? Right.
1: What makes up a person's personhood? We could say a lot of things this gets really complicated. We tried to focus on three main areas, though, within within this realm. So we think in terms of personality, we think in terms of personality. And right now we're going to define that as what is inherent about you. For example, the main character, Echo, or, or Caroline, as she is. Echo is her doll name. Echo consistently pulls up the rear no matter what personality she's been imprinted with there's something deeper there's something underlying where she would always be the last person out of a burning building just to make sure that everyone got out all right that's personality then we have the idea of memories and experiences within personhood Experiences can shape how we respond to the world, right? Without personal memories, what do we do? Where do I learned behaviors go? Does personality come first and then character or learned character come after? Within Dollhouse, there is one particular character that experiences immense grief That overwhelms them to the point that they opt out of that grief by opting into the dollhouse. And what kind of personhood do they have now that they don't have that grief, that memory, that experience? Then we've got basic human rights within personhood. And more specifically, we want to focus on the ability to consent. Within this show, (laughs) consent is a very...
0: Fluid <laughs> Fluid is such a great word for it. It's a very fluid concept. Very ambiguous. Right.
1: When someone signs up for being a doll and they opt into the dollhouse, they they give an upfront consent for a number of years. I I, I give up all of these things I, I, I give you the right to put me in whatever circumstances you deem are safe, given that I will not die you know throughout this and you're going to provide for me
0: financially after this term is up. They're giving up um, they're giving up rights to their body essentially like contractually they're signing away for X number of years their body. Yes.
1: So you have this upfront consent. Then later, in, later on in the story, we see that Sierra, one of the dolls, she, she gains some kind of loose awakening as a part of an experiment within the dollhouse. She's given part of her original personality, her original imprint, if you will, back to her. So she is kind of like a, a, a kind of a crazy case of amnesia, where she's no longer in her dull state, but she also has all of her regular tendencies without the memories. And Sierra ends up learning in this window of time that she has this imprint that. Over the past several years, she's been imprinted with multiple different personalities, uh, one at a time. Each of them have been programmed to give consent to this one particular man uh, for sex that she would have never personally given, never in her life. And this is where I wonder if, if the consent that people offer up front to the dollhouse is... Authentic, Right. Because, yeah, the nature of consent seems to be you should be able to say at any point in time, no, this is not what I want anymore, or I didn't sign up for this.
0: Right. And as the show goes on, you kind of start realizing that that upfront consent that kind of appears at the beginning to be all above board and people are totally in the know about what they're getting into. That that's not always the case for everybody. Like in Sierra's mm. case, she... Um, was made mentally unstable and unable to um, give consent or any kind of, like, make decisions for herself um, when she was brought to the dollhouse. Um, Caroline, who becomes Echo as a doll, was essentially um, blackmailed into becoming a doll. Um, And there are these cases that pop up. You're like, oh, so people don't actually have full agency over how they get into this situation. They're not really giving consent, even at the beginning. Right. Right. I think most of the first season explores kind of, like we were talking about earlier, this experiment where they let the dolls kind of go and do what they want, in a sense. They have these, like, they notice these impulses that they are having, um, that they shouldn't have as dolls without any kind of personality or agency. So they allow them to go out and kind of explore this. Um, And ultimately what they find is that they try to technologically remove someone's personhood and they find that they can't. This is actually impossible.
1: Which is fascinating. It's fascinating because... Because you're always wondering what is a doll? What's going on? What's happening in your brain? Is anything happening in your brain? And when you realize they they cannot overwrite someone's personhood or they can't remove it. That uh, that felt really satisfying to me Mm -hmm.
0: over time when you see that. And this is, I want to take a step back from, because we're kind of immersed in the story right now. And this is fiction. And what the point is that they're making here that is that like someone is Joss Whedon has decided in this fiction to make a point that a person's self and identity is so like inherent and strong. You can't remove it with technology or coercion. It's always there and it's important. And I think that really is like a kernel that is what makes this show Important and this concept important A major part of the dollhouse is the technology they use to To strip a person's personality from their brain and replace it with imprints um, And this kind of opens up a bigger conversation about the use of technology in our lives um, And how we use technology for like just everyday convenience. So many people have Alexa or Google Home or whatever they're called um, in their homes that, like, these are genuinely useful things. You can set timers and order food and do wonderful, great things, time-saving things. Um, I love all the time-saving things. I bought groceries from Amazon the other day. It was great. Did you? Yes. Wow. (laughs) So fancy. I know. But there's always this, like... um, this kind of apocalyptic scenario that happens when you explore technology in a sci-fi realm where technology eventually takes over and uh, kind of is self-defeating, that um, we push technology to the point of giving it so much agency in our lives that we no longer have the agency to do things. In the show in Dollhouse, they call it. They just call it tech. Tech is the overarching concept for this. Um, it starts off as a, a means of convenience and fantasy fulfillment um, for rich people's happiness, and eventually it takes away their, uh, their their power and their control over what really like is kind of a free happy life. Yeah, it's
1: interesting. I love what you just said about giving away our agency to technology and I almost want to push that a little bit further and ask, do we give our agency to technology
0: or do we give it to people who control technology? Man, this is a great question because I think on a certain level, yes, we're just giving it over to the technology, Um, but it is, if you go a little deeper than that, it's... The way, I mean, this is how we encounter advertising. This is how we encounter, like, media. Mm -hmm. There's always an Mm -hmm. undercurrent of the person who wrote the thing and the agenda they're pushing. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Even the most altruistic person who's marketing anything has an agenda. Um, It might be a good one. It could be a bad one. Um, It could be just counter to your goals in life. Not necessarily bad. But, yeah, ultimately, someone... Writes the program that controls the technology and someone chooses what that technology does. In Dollhouse, Topher is a huge contributor to the tech,
1: right? He's someone who is so enamored by the puzzle that this tech represents. He just wants to solve it. And he doesn't think about the overall ramifications of completing a puzzle because it just seems like a game. And often people tell him that, that he views humans as playthings. However, Topher has a moment toward the end of our story, or towards the real conflict of the story. When we get to the heart, the the dark heart of this, Topher realizes that there's been a cycle of destruction put into motion by his tech, by his brainchild (laughs) and he doesn't know how to how to stop it he can't stop the the stuff that this corporation has begun with his tech and that uh reminds me of something else that joss whedon has said he says there are two things that interest me and they're both power ultimately one is not having it and one
0: is abusing it Mm mm-hmm Yeah, it seems that oftentimes those are the two options. Either you don't have power or you have it and you abuse it. It's so hard to find some sort of practical middle ground. And I mean practical and, like, observable in history. You say observable? Yeah. Can you break that down a little bit? It seems historically that people either don't have power or they have it and they abuse it. That there is not... There's not really many examples of people having power and using it well. Right.
1: And if there are examples of that, there's generally an alternative narrative that gets spun by people who are abusing power. (laughs) Yep. Yep. These are the facts, folks. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. To get back to the heart of what the tech is, though, let's talk about these dolls. Where does identity, which is so closely linked with personhood, fall into the state of a doll? Who are the dolls? Or maybe maybe we should ask, what are they? Because they certainly don't function like any other human beings that we've encountered.
0: Right. There's... Um... They're given their their personalities are stripped their their mental their neural pathways are taken and put in an attic um, and is that right I don't remember their their brains are are erased and replaced and <laughs> it's confusing and I don't understand science um, <clears throat> also it's fictional so I don't have to <laughs> They're deprogrammed and then reprogrammed and made into these empty shells of people to be vessels for other personalities. In that process, they're assigned a new name, which corresponds with a letter of the military alphabet, and wait for their job to happen.
1: Right. And and I want to talk a little bit more about the dollhouse, too, as you just said... That they wait for their job to happen. It's not as though these people are sitting around in poor conditions. You know, these people are in a beautiful facility. They're all wearing athleisure wear. (laughs) (laughs) They get to do yoga. They get to paint. They get to do all kinds of things that they want to do. They can go swimming. They can... They can do whatever they want to do when they're in their doll state until they receive an engagement uh, or someone has booked their services. And the beauty of the building and the serenity that seems to encompass the space pushes along this narrative. That nothing is amiss here. It comes back to this idea that nothing is what it seems
0: mm-hmm.
1: There's another there's another almost self-soothing mantra that this woman, Adele, consistently says either to herself, to others. I think she's personally speaking to herself. Even more when she's telling other people what she believes on this subject, Adele is the woman who runs this entire operation, or this particular location, I should say, of one dollhouse. She is Topher's boss. She is over the head of security. She's she's just in charge here. Adele consistently comes back to this idea that if someone books a doll or they 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 ask for and pay for an engagement that after that engagement is over Adele has just helped two people get exactly what they want and that that's a good thing so she's helping people And this is where we kind of cross back into the line of consent again, where someone might be imprinted with a personality that will only give consent. So it seems like there are two full, whole people who have just gotten exactly what they wanted, but we can't truly know that of the doll's. Adele repeats this to herself and to others all the time in a way that seems like she's trying to convince herself that everything is okay. That, it, you know, the FBI that's searching for them to try to unravel this operation is just mistaken. They are under the wrong impression. They've heard the wrong narrative. They don't understand.
0: The dolls are given their identities, and that overwrite um, their their previous identities. Their the humans' original identity, um, but the main character Echo, whose hu- original identity was named Caroline, um, Caroline keeps reasserting herself or becoming a more consistent presence in all of the different imprints that are put in Echo. It gives us this sense that a person's identity is also inherent to them, as is their personhood.
1: This is where you start to see the difference between what she's been
0: programmed to do and what she will actually give consent for. An article from io9 written by Charlie Jane Anders in 2009 says this. Today, Whedon talked about the idea that people's identities are already becoming more customizable, Thanks to the internet and quote, extraordinarily specific medications, unquote. This is something that wasn't really true even a decade ago, which is now two decades ago, and it gives you new ways to talk about very old questions. Who am I? What am I as I get older? What's really sticking? What's the part I can point to and say, this is me, and what's just coming and going? What has been imposed on me? Who the hell am I? Why aren't I prettier? But also, what do people expect from each other, and how do we use each other? Yo, the fact that this is something that
1: was said in two thousand nine, and now it is twenty nineteen,
0: and even more factual. Yeah, like this is this is definitely a problem. Hmm. This is an issue that we deal with more and more because of w- what that quote just said. That they things are becoming more customizable. Everyone's got bitmojis and <laughs> like <laughs> uh, evidently medications are incredibly specific. Say I was I was just saying that this is becoming more and more of an issue, but I'm going to backtrack and say this has always been an issue. Mm, the question maybe of is more obvious now. Maybe I'm not sure that's even like in the way that things are more obvious because the internet just makes things more readily accessible. Mm. I think the question of who am who am I? Um, what am I f- doing here? Uh, all of these things have been around for a long time. Like, okay, and this might be weird, but I'm thinking of Romeo and Juliet and the question of what has been imposed on me. Mm. Um, these two people who thought, who's families thought a certain way and should have behaved a certain way, um, behaved counter to that. And that thing that had been imposed on them, um, it went badly. Actually a thing that we struggle with, this is why people cannot stick to one major in college. This is why some people don't even know why they're in college, but they think they have to. And our, our higher education system is broken. This is why, this is this is why families fall apart, because they just don't understand each other to the like they think they there should be more of a a likeness or a differentness or fill in the blank. Um just this question of who am I? Hmm. Why am I not a different way? I
1: this this phrase uh customizable identities is it keeps sticking out in my mind. And I, I think it's because I use Instagram a lot. Mm. And I think about how I can customize the way that people see me. And not even just on Instagram, but on social media in general, wherever I have control over my image, I can customize how I want to be perceived by others. Mm. And, and it's, It's also interesting here because I have agency to do that, right? Because I control these social media accounts to some extent.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: However, the dolls don't have that kind of agency. There's an entire corporation that
0: customizes their identities. Right. I think if we're going to extrapolate kind of esoterically, what the meaning of this story is for us. Like, let's say we're the dolls, right? Like, where Mm do we get our identity from? Who are we allowing to tell us what we are, who we are? I think, like, yeah, there's a big, definitely a big arrow pointing at we're being controlled by Google um, or Amazon or Apple or whatever. Um, It's kind of makes us step back and think about what we're letting impact our lives.
1: Yeah. Having agency is very powerful, and we are often quick to relinquish that power for the sake of convenience.
0: Indeed. So at this point, we transition to stories that have impacted us recently, um, as Dollhouse has (laughs) impacted us generally. Christina, mm-hmm.
1: what's your story? The story on my mind right now is Hook. The premise for this movie is Peter Pan has left Neverland, grown up, and forgotten how to be a kid. Forgotten really how to have joy. Because now he's a businessman with a cell phone that's going off 24-7.
0: <laughs> I just remembered that cell phone. That's so great. So 90s, so 90s.
1: The part that really sticks in my mind right now, though, is the part where Peter is with the Lost Boys and all of them don't recognize him. And they don't really want to spend or waste their time with an adult. To their understanding, all adults are pirates. We should kill all the pirates. So why are we wasting our time with this old fat man in glasses who can't seem to do nothing? And the Lost Boys are trying to decide what they're going to do if they believe that he is who Tinkerbell says he is. Because even Peter Pan doesn't believe in himself. And that's the part that really jumped out at me the most uh, recent time that I watched this movie. Because it's one of my favorites. I watch it a lot. Peter Pan does not believe in himself, but there is one particular lost boy who, I mean, there's a, there's a, it's a, it's a pretty corny moment. I'll be honest, (laughs) but as he's looking at Peter's face, he just goes, there you are, Peter. (laughs) And, and I, this story is on my mind right now because it reminds me how important it is for us to have friends who know us.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How important it is for us to have friends who remind us of who we are, who believe in us when we don't believe in ourselves, and who will also stick it out with us in the process
0: of walking back to who we are. Yeah. It's like living life with people, just like side by side, prevents so much just hurt i think and like Mm. hurt hurt and pain happen anyway but when you've Mm. got someone next to you who's like going with it going through it with you Mm -hmm. it'll i think ultimately prevent a lot of that oh you've become old fat and boring um Mm. because i mean that might be true we're all gonna go get a little old and fat eventually but if (laughs) someone's been like living life with you and like has grown with you you're going to know each other where you're at and be able to still have that joy and fun,
1: I think. Yeah, yeah. And I even think about my my last couple of years. It's been, I mean, I have needed all the people in my life to remind me who I am. I have needed all of them to to believe in me and to encourage me and... To also, yeah, stick it out with me as I'm, as I'm trying to regain my footing. I needed that. I needed my friends. I needed my family.
0: What about you, Jenny? What stories on your mind right now? I recently started catching up on the most recent uh, season of Doctor Who with the new okay. Doctor... Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jodie Whittaker is fantastic. I love her as the doctor. Mm. Um, And I could just talk about that for a long time. But the episode that really stuck out to me, is episode three, um, where we kind of leave the world of Doctor Who for a minute and just focus on something else really important, which is the story of Rosa Parks. Um, hmm. And there's, I mean, there's the Doctor Who storyline going on where they've got to, like, protect Rosa Parks from a, like, a thing out of time that's trying to ruin history. But, like, the portrayal of this this story that everyone, at least in North America or at least in um, the U.S., has grown up hearing about if they went through any kind of normal schooling... The portrayal of this event in a TV show that's essentially a kid's show. Doctor Who was kind of meant to be a a kid's show. Um, It was so honest and unadorned. Hmm. Like, this is a story of a woman who just finally decided that she shouldn't be treated the way she was being treated. Um, And I sat there and watched this play out and cried because I'd never seen the story acted out in front of me. I'm I'm sure there are multiple uh, versions of the story in film or books that I've just never heard of or watched um hmm. but it was just simple to the point this is what happened and it was heartbreaking and then there's a wrap-up kind of at the end of the episode where the doctor is like someone asked the doctor like okay so things got better after that and she's like no Rosa Parks hard life was hard it didn't like it was many decades later when she got recognition for what she did um but it was important. Mm. She needed to do it because it set the tone and, like, it was a catalyst for Martin Luther King to start his kind of protests. And it, like, initiated a civil rights movement. It was one of the most important things that we don't talk about enough. Mm. So, um,
1: just to, because I haven't seen this episode, so the doctor says all that? the doctor says all of that at the end, like what started the civil rights movement and all of that?
0: Um, trying to remember if she says it directly. Um, I think at, at different points in the episode that like this information is present, like presented, like this is an important part of this history. Um, Mm. at the end, the doctor specifically says that, uh, Rose's life was not immediately better; it was actually harder, um, but and it yeah. and, but it was important to start. What happened later? Mm.
1: I'm interested to watch that episode. I, s- I haven't seen any of the new Doctor Who stuff yet. Um, yeah, I'm interested. People are saying lots of uh, lots of things about it being a new day. Um, <laughs>
0: yeah, I want to find out for myself. This episode has, uh, like, it's, we've touched on a lot of important and weighty and silly things, Um, and I've really enjoyed recording it, and I'm going to enjoy recording the next one next time, but for Mm. now, uh, where can we find you on the internet in the meantime, Christina?
1: You can find me on Instagram at jlfc.l.you. I put my poetry there. I put updates for what we're doing on this podcast there. I also have a blog called Christina from the Midwest. You can find that on medium.com. What about you, Jenny? Where can we find you on these
0: internets? I can be found on Instagram as well, at jlfehr. Almost forgot how to spell my name just now. And that's pretty much, I'm, I'm on a, other platforms, but that's pretty much where I'm active. Great.
1: Thanks for listening, So Story. I, 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 I. Wow, now I have the giggles. How are we ever going to make it through this episode?
0: We will get through it with so much of whatever the (laughs) brain chemical is that comes from giggling. Mm, Dopamine? Dopamine. Dopamine. Yes.
1: Thank you to our sponsor for this episode. Dopamine.
0: Dopamine. I'm going to be honest, I zoned out a little bit, and the only thing I can think of right now is, did I fall asleep? For a little while. Oh, no.